Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Dana, a head of growth at SaaS Group, a serial acquirer buying wonderful SaaS businesses to take them to the next level. And here I chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Joseph, CEO and founder of UserSnap, uh, the number one customer feedback software for growing SaaS companies, and of course, now a member of SaaS Group family. So welcome to the show. Hi, Anna. Thank you for having me today. I'm super excited to, to join your podcast today. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm Joseph. I'm, I'm co-founder uh, and CEO of, of UserSnap. Um, founded it back in 2013. Um, and we use a team of 15 people distributed all over Europe and part of the SaaS group uh, since last September. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the family. So um, first of all, I want to get to know, well, you a little bit what's your background you know how you got to build user snap so what was the inspiration behind it absolutely yeah yeah as i said um um, um joseph ceo founder uh, of user snap um and um what is user snap uh, user snap is a SaaS feedback platform and our belief is we believe feedback driven companies build the best product um but it's fair to say that's not exactly where we started uh, Usenet was originally founded as, as pure visual bug tracker. So you can imagine, you know, bug tracking tools like Jira and so on. And we were basically a connecting part. You, you just connected Usenet uh, to Jira and, and submit your, your bugs there. And how came I to this inspiration or to this idea was uh, I was working on various uh, web projects as, as a consulting and also as an engineer. So you, now you know that I have a tech background and I experienced there the problem that it's super hard for people to tell the others where is the bug, where it occurs. And there the, the idea was, hey, let's just immediately capture the screenshot, uh, add some technical information and send it to, to, the, bug, uh, to the bug reporting platform like Jira. And that was the original start of, of, of UserSnap. Um, but as I said, uh, we believe in feedback-driven companies. So that's what we also did. So we listened to our customers and they told us, hey, there's more than just submitting a bug. It's about general product feedback ideas and, and, and uh, things where, where people want to help you to improve the product. Um, that's where we then zoomed out a little bit and, and started to search this is bigger segment, the bigger, bigger market, the bigger space. And that's where we then turned UserSnap into the UserSnap feedback platform where we are uh, right now. That's fascinating. I actually knew, of course, that you have a tech background because you guys uh, had like a very uh, deep dive right away into SaaS Group because once we acquired you, you also had a chance to join us at our annual retreat. And all the stories I've heard there, um, I'll never share them, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun, yeah. Technical background was definitely there. So, yeah, um, you know, over the years, um, you know, we always talk about like zero to one. Uh, what was your zero to one uh, journey, and what was the most challenging there, and in finding your product market fit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, as I already introduced, uh, we started with this, this screenshot capability, uh, but, but the also important ideas of the problem we're solving, we just make it super easy to collect feedback in all different kinds of ways um, and in, all, in the whole customer journey, in the whole digital customer journey. And 
why is this important? Um, we, we know that, that providing feedback is not something people love to do. I mean, I mean sometimes, yes. But what, what you're taking from your users is some time because in that time they spend it for you to provide feedback. So what's the easiest way to, to value this is just making it super easy, super simple and not distracting. And that's what we really focused on to just make this a super easy way that, that your users can, can give you feedback. And on the other hand, the problem what we're then solving is, is product managers just, just have the constant need of making good decision what to build next. And the feedback channel is, in my opinion, a really important one. So you have this qualitative aspect, um, and this gives you the superpower in addition to your data-driven decisions, because you have a lot of analytics tools in place um, and a lot of data sources in, in, in your company. But adding this qualitative aspect makes it then then easier and, 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 and more confident for the product managers to just make this decision um, um, what, what, what should be built. But yeah, and what is the most challenging part in, in this journey is, is uh, too long didn't read, finding the right focus. Um, the good thing about software is everywhere. So basically our product to providing feedback can be installed everyone, everywhere in every digital product, in every vertical, different segments, personas, etc. So basically, um, you can, we can serve every kind of customer. But if you really want to make a good product, you should focus on one thing, at least at a time, um, to be very good there. And that's, for example, super hard if you have customers who really, really excited and love your product, but that you're not your main target group. Um, so you have to tell them, sorry, thanks for your input, for your feedback, for your feature request, but we will not going to build this at least now because it's not our direction. So to zoom out a little bit and phrase it maybe more philosophical, uh, I could also say, if you try to make everyone happy, you probably end up making no one happy. And that's to, to, to bring back to this point is, is finding the right focus. You have to kind of make some segments unhappy, especially when you are building a product in a space where we are, where basically every company is your target company. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I think it's, uh, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of founders of, uh, you know, tools in the same space. And that was, I think that's kind of like the most common answer there because yeah, you're absolutely right all the software is out there. And I mean, if anyone from LinkedIn is listening, please get user snap. Like my feedback experience and <laughs> solving the bug experience was the worst. Absolutely. I mean, just do something about it. But exactly. uh, yeah, I mean, I let's go LinkedIn. During... And, and that's, that's, that's in the end, uh, um, what you just said, LinkedIn, social, uh, social media, we have airlines, we have banks we have with SaaS companies with all this kind of different verticals so right everyone everyone should be our customer yes absolutely <laughs> um but how uh, at the end like how did you narrow it down how did you focus how did you find your perfect customer and who are you saying no to these days mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um it was a quite intense journey to, to find this spot. But uh, in the end, it was multifaceted, I would say it. So we then decided that the product manager of software and SaaS companies are our main target group. Because first reason, we are our own SaaS 
a company. We, we, we know the product manager it's best. And I think when thinking very long about this topic, there we can provide the most value. For example, if you have a customer who has not only this digital product and also some sort of physical product, um, their, their need to, to have the best software is maybe not that big because they also have the physical product, for example. And that's what we just see a lot in SaaS businesses and, and in pure software business that they have the real need to making just a really, really, really amazing experience of the product. And that's what's then also lead us to um, focusing on the product manager of, 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 of SaaS or software companies. Right. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, nowadays, even though everyone says like it's it's easier than ever to just whip up a SaaS product, but then like the threshold with like what you can go with to the market, what you can show to your mm -hmm. audience is just so much higher, yeah. right? So uh, what did you go with to the market? Like, was it a, a complete solution? Did you have to like really make it work or was it some kind of MVP uh, that, you know, still could validate the idea? I think it was in between. Um, I knew I built a prototype of UserSnap within a weekend. So this concept, okay. yeah, we are creating a screenshot, adding some tech information and sending somewhere where people can, can watch it was done within a weekend. But before we went out to the product, for me, it was still important that we have something um, very close to an MVP because uh, at least you have to deliver a value because people just mean oh, it can be super crap. And if no one hates it, it's, it's still, it, it, that then it's the right time to ship it. But I mean, as you said, it's super easy to start a SaaS or software company nowadays. I mean, you should make at least your basic homework. It, it must provide a value. I mean, if you're not providing a value, no one will say, oh, great. Uh, just give me five more months. And then, then we are, we are loving this product. This will not going to happen. Okay. So I would say it was closer to MVP rather than uh, the, the squeak hack on the weekend. All right. Interesting. Okay. So I, I guess we're, uh, we are going to focus a little bit more on the M&A and the whole acquisition process today a little bit. Um, so did you build UserSnap with an exit in mind? That's a fair question. So I, I started using it, as I said, back in 2013. Um, and... Uh, Right after the foundation, we got uh, immediately a, a small seed funding from, from Speed Invest. It's an Austrian uh, well-known fund. Um, so basically, it was clear at that point in time um, that at a point later in time, we will exit the company and, and uh, sell it to somewhere. So I think it was quite early that the decision made. But also soon or just just a little bit later um for me it was important to build a running self-sustainable business rather than going the 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 vc case by putting a lot of cash into the company and 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 you know it i mean don't get me wrong the vc case is a, is also a very good one uh, has a lot of advantages but also disadvantages everything comes with a price tag so um yeah as said for me it was important to have this self-sustainable business uh, rather than this crazy um, uh, skyrocketing VC case. Okay. All right. But at first you raised the money to, you know, to win the market share or to just, you know, uh, use it for development. Like what was the uh, thought behind that decision? 
Yeah, to just really grasp uh, something on the floor because I mean you need to have a, have a basic working product. You do some initial marketing things. You you just need to get the first customers. So um, also linked to this self-sustainable business case, it's important that someone pays for your product. And that's what we achieved with this uh, first funding round that we had paying customers for our product. And, and then it was kind of the way to, to being more and more self-sustainable. So it was, okay. we were not from the first minute on profitable and, and, and able to survive uh, in the wild. So that was, was done by the initial funding. Okay. All right. So at what point did you decide, you know, you started 2013, you sold 10 years later. At what point mm -hmm. did you even start like really thinking about an exit? Was it with like the first potential acquirer approaching you or did you think, okay, like maybe this is where I want to find a partner uh, or maybe even like sell to a strategic buyer for, <clears throat> for um, a more rapid growth or like uh, how did that decision mm -hmm. come to you? I mean, the whole journey I was open for, always open for discussions and then when someone approached uh, us. Um, from a cash perspective, we never had the need uh, to sell um, or our investors pushed us to in the direction that, that we have to do. That's, I think, that are very good preconditions. Um, so... It was more down the road than I, 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 I decided at a certain point I'm, hey, let's, let's, let's have, a, have a more active, a proactive uh, look around what, what potential strategic partners could do um, to go a little bit the best dev direction and then have, have some conversations. Um, I, I can remember that I had my first conversation uh, with Dirk from, from our SAS M&A team um, three years ago. So... Yeah, we, we built up some relationship and and um, yeah, we were staying in touch. So it, but as I said, it was never this kind of push. Okay, now we are, we're doing this, but I think it was then one and a half year ago or something. I I can't recall it exactly. Where it's okay, let's let's move on with a more proactive approach. Have a look around and see what the market provides. What 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 we can do. Um, always in mind that we don't have the urgent need to do it. Yeah, I think it's kind of the best <clears throat> situation for a company uh, when you don't really have to sell. So you have the, you know, mm -hmm. the power to go on with negotiations and the, to price the business correctly. Because uh, I had also the uh, the conversation with Auntie, the founder of uh, AdSearch. And they also, <laughs> we, we approached them two years ago, like two years before the sale. So this processes really take time. So you really, really build the relationships. But what does it mean? You know, what does it mean building the relationship? Did you like, did you have to, or did you want to maybe um, meet with the company at the events that we do? Or like, did you have to send some kind of data, just keep uh, the potential acquirers updated? Like what, what is the process of that relationship building? I think it's the most important thing is just having calls. I mean, in times like these, you don't have to meet in person for 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 every for every knowledge exchange. I think you just have these regular calls to see a little bit what, for example, from the potential acquirer side is changing. Um, there are there are times where people only say, "Okay, we we completely ignore uh, EBIT 
um, that's now different. Um, and or time, so so there are also factors from the acquirer perspective are changing. They are looking for for different um, kind of companies and so on. So I think it's also important to have this this, this bidirectional knowledge exchange. Um, so calls are, are really important. Also, of course, sending data because in the end it comes down to what are your numbers, what are the facts, what what's the facts, how your business is performing because this and. You can also summarize it always in, in a few slides, so you don't have to hide that much uh, um, because you can find it, especially in SaaS business, very fast. W what are the underlying foundation of, of a business? Um, and in the end, an acquisition is, is still a people business. So there are, there are people buying your business and, and you make a decision to whom are you selling you. So uh, it's just having having good conversations uh, also about random stuff is, I think, important it's, it's it's a relationship it's really a relationship it's not so the technical part then comes later of course where we really say okay is this number completely correct is this precisely what what you have talked but before it's it's a people a people thing yeah absolutely we just uh did a video with Derek, by the way about that and he's like yeah sometimes the perception is that i go on this first call with like a huge list of um questions which are all like quantitative and like give me all the metrics give me all the data but uh it's definitely not the case so uh yeah mm -hmm. thanks uh thanks for clarifying that and you know i i already mentioned the pricing right like how important it is for uh, a founder to just have a healthy business uh and not being pushed into the sale uh to also just price their business right right and have this price alignment with uh with the uh acquirer because i mean sure of course we talk about cultural alignment and value alignment and this is all great and, and sounds perfect but of course everyone is interested like how much they're getting for their business right uh this is a very logical thing to ask um and yeah so how did you go about pricing user snap uh, i'm not asking for you know, numbers or even multiples, but I'm not allowed yeah. to do that. But <laughs> <laughs> by the way. I know that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, did you did you look at some benchmarks? Did you look at like uh, the trends on the market? A similar uh, size businesses being sold. Like, what did you do? How did you go about pricing? Yeah, I think that's that's super important to to go uh, into this business conversations with, with with a good self preparation you have have a market multiples there are, as i said saas is a kind of very good there are standardized metrics um, every saas business has and you can just do some basic basic market research on, on where where is your valuation going i mean there are, there are factors like a churn is very important in general mrr or arr lifetime value churn um, and so on so so year-over-year -year growth that that are standardized numbers you can just quickly put into to sheets and you find a lot of knowledge on the internet and all this knowledge will guide you very fast to to ranges so you're going well prepared um into such discussions um in the end it's of course a little bit like a, a bazaar you want to have the highest thing the acquire want to have the lowest thing and then you're, you're meeting somewhere but the expectations one should have should be in a, in a, in a, in a, yeah, in a good, good range and, or in a similar good range. So, um, yeah, but important is being prepared for it. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by rewardful.com. 
Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course, rewardful.com course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Right, absolutely. I think it's very important to just go with all the like, difficult discussions up front. And I mean, the price of the business can be a deal breaker, right? Like if you say, I want to sell for 20 million and the acquirer says, you know, I can only give you five, well, then there you go. Like no one's wasting each other's time. So absolutely, absolutely. I think this is super, super important. And I think this is also a, a, a was a very, very, very good experience with the SaaS group to to answer this, what I call elephant in the room questions right in the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so important. All right. So since we started, you know, on SaaS group uh, with a little flattery, <laughs> uh, why SaaS group? I mean, uh, I know there has been uh, mm -hmm. a, a few potential acquirers on your way. And, you know, I'm not only asking for flattery <laughs> but like just honestly just like having seen a lot of acquirers and what they're um what they're talking about and what they're offering uh and mm. what they value during the process like why was it task group at the end yeah uh, in the end i i call this question myself very often that decision was an easy one so oh one could say it just felt then right, but 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 why? Um, the as you said already, or as we talked a little bit about this elephant in the room questions, the normal or at least the experience I had with with different conversations and, and biz dev um, um, with, with different companies, strategic buyers, uh, private equity funds, and so on. So, but most of the time the approach was um, to talk with biz dev. You talk a little bit with product. You talk a little bit with finance it feels like small talking all the time. You sh share the basic data, but you spend quite some time and no one wants to answer you the elephants in the room questions. And these are basically three, three simple ones. What is the enterprise valuation? What is the deal structure? It means 100% acquisition, asset deal, share deal. Um, is it paid all cash? Is it shares, etc.? And what are the strings attached? So meaning retention of founders, is there a holdback, earn or nothing? Um, yeah, and that are basically those three questions, they have to be answered super fast in the process. And that's what I had immediately feeling with SaaS Group. So we were approached, had, I mean, I had this relationship with Dirk, we would then finally were again approached, let's go further down the road, exchange some uh, current numbers. And then what we get is this fact sheet where exactly these questions were answered. 
and you feel immediately, wow, this is, this, this is exactly what we wanted to have this super fast, um, clarity. And you can just go with the fact sheet and very, very, very quick say, this is absolutely out of our range. This is close there. Should we negotiate? Should we talk about it? But this was it. And that, that made this really good feeling from the beginning on, because sometimes in, in other cases, you have this kind of fishy feeling where they, okay, are we seriously talking here or is it kind of chitty chatty? And, and then there comes the second part where I believe pushed is even further other people involved. So, so the people at SARS group were from the beginning on, on super eye level discussions. Um, they were immediately saying us, we're not merging you to any different product line or product suit. You exist further. And we just got the answers to our questions always super fast. So, so, and that matches, this gives you additional very good experience to say, okay, let's go further down the road. I mean, one could also say it was very good to have these other experiences is because then you know what a good experience is. Um, when you just were approached by a SaaS group, maybe, and that's the only acquirer you talk to, maybe you, you feel differently, <laughs> but that's what in the end turned out for me. So this is super important to, to not waste each other's time by, by just answering simple, simply this, 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 I call it elephant in the room questions. Everyone wants to have knows, have answered it and everyone knows it and so on. Yeah. 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 Right. I think the fact that like we're trying to make it the least disruptive for the business and just like you said, just get it out there right away and make sure, you know, if it's a no, it's a no, then, you know, you proceed, you, you focus yeah. on your business, you grow it further, uh, or, you know, we proceed. And then again, we, we try to make it, you make it as seamless, uh, for the business as possible, because for us, it's also a great thing that you don't stop working on the product because, you know, we want it to operate, we want it to grow. So once the due diligence started, what was the process? Like how, how disruptive was it for you? How did your role change? Uh, and how is it changing since then? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, in the, the diligence, the, the, the process was really super structured. Um, in the beginning, uh, to be honest, I thought it, it was kind of planned of four months that this thing will be done. I said, what should we do this four months? I mean, come on, it's a business. Let's come on with the contract and let's fill out some things. And, and of course, due diligence, have a look what we did maybe wrong. Um, and the funny thing was there, it did precisely this four months. This is just the process and we really need it basically every single day because yet in the end it's, it's, then you find out, okay, well, it's not so easy to, to, to give something kind of away or sell something which you built up for the last 10 years and where every single decision basically you made with, with your co-founders and, and in a, in a good rational way, but, but okay, you have to talk about this and, and be precisely what, what, what's going on. So that was, that was fun in the end. Um, the, the diligence, but went super smooth as, as, as said, I mean, that's, that's maybe the nature of SAS group is, is, uh, this very structured, uh, as I said, sheet of paper you get in the, the beginning where it clearly states what are, what are the, the, the basic facts about your business, uh, price and so on. That's also, uh, with due diligence. So this is our process, what we're doing. We're checking this parts of your, pro of your product and of your business, um, give you the reports, give you immediately feedback. Um, then we are creating a contract, uh, and then it's, it's very, 
very standardized and very structured. So that, that was super great because we had this kind of following this line and we knew it, this will, uh, this will gonna, gonna, gonna happen in the end. Um, right. you, you asked them how my role changed, uh, yeah. basically after, after the acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, did it, I mean, at first did it kind of, because you were still, you know, very operationally involved, uh, did it somehow disrupt your flows in the company? And yeah, and how did your role change since the acquisition? Mm -hmm. In general, I wouldn't say that much. Um, it still feels like we are fully independent product within this larger, safe organization. Uh, that's a thing. I mean, it's also clear, especially in the beginning, post-merge integration, you, you're getting administrative tasks, you're connecting to a new mothership um, on multiple levels from finance reporting and so on. But this is a phase in everyday's project. You also have projects where you say, okay, this is, has a clear goal. Um, this task just has to, has to be done. Um, on the other side, yeah, of course, you're doing different reporting. Uh, I had to report to myself and my investors back then. Now I have different reporting levels. Um, but that's also uh, structured and, and yeah, doable. The, the, I think the important thing why I, stay, why I say that my role hasn't changed that much is the, the basic goal what is outlined by, by SaaS Group as our mothership. It's, it's basically being a profitable business and the actual product innovation still should just happen in your small brand team. Um, although we're having an organization with 200, more than 250 people, the, the whole SaaS group is we're still small brand team. We can rely on the help from, from central teams. Um, and, but we're still this kind of uh, super fast, uh, speedboat uh, and, and, and can adopt and to, to, to changes to market things and so on. And, and the external goal is just being profitable. And that's, I think a good setup to to have not that changed that much and still can can it's it's a very good experience for me to, to being being there right now so that's i think that's that really the really cool thing okay it changed perfect. it didn't change that much i think it's really important to say that all right makes sense okay uh so was there anything that, that like surprised you during the due diligence because uh i know that you know there there are so many stories that you know, oh, we forgot about something or, you know, we didn't know that we didn't have a contract with that freelancer. And, you know, he came back mm -hmm. claiming that, oh, this is my IP or something like that. So was there mm -hmm. anything, was there any skeleton in your closet at the time? Yeah, of due diligence? I mean, <laughs> there were, there were a few things. So we knew we were really good in tech and that's what was then also proven. We just have a good, super solid tech product. Um, and I was also pretty sure that we did these legal things in a quite good quality, but still in the end, I said, did you really didn't have a perfect contract executed? That is that really the case? Um, or intellectual property assignment from, from most of the people were done, but not from myself, things like that where they, okay, really, really? It, didn't we, I mean, that, that, that's easy to solve. I just have to sign a document that I, I transfer the ownership, but things like that, where is it? I'm hundred percent sure we are having this correct in place. And they say, Oh, we are having not. And that, that was quite, uh, quite fun. Sometimes they, they, 
I'm, I'm really always focused on this one point because this is super important. But then in the end, a super small thing came up and said, oh, that's what we have to solve. But I mean, the good thing is that was not, there was no really crazy um, failure finding um, in, in our journey. That's also quite impressive, I would say, because 10 years you do quite some things um, and sometimes things happening and, and then you're, yeah have to have to fix them but no big surprise and it was as i said quite structured super in time also i didn't believe that we need four months but uh yeah super in time uh, and that, that that's cool yeah okay great job joseph <laughs> congrats on the smooth deal <laughs> all right let's talk about post-merger integration a little bit right because uh you've been with us i want to do the math about six months five five six months yeah five, six months, right? So uh, I suppose you're somewhere like towards the end of the integration, or maybe, you know, you finished Absolutely, it, yeah. you're all fully on board. So again, like sometimes, uh, yeah, you talk cultural value alignment, and then, well, you land on a totally different planet. So how did post-merger integration go for you? Again, were there any surprises? And if you're completely honest, would you change anything? Um, maybe I answer the second question. Yes, I would change things, but that's a very normal thing. I mean, that's that's we as SaaS group are also growing, and and um, things processes from let's say two years ago maybe not hundred percent the same or same effective uh, if you do it now. So I would always change something, um, but in general, uh, the 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 PMI tasks, so the, the most important things, kind of data connection, finance connection, um, bringing all the people feeling on board it from a value perspective and, and the belongings to the SaaS group was done super smooth. So that's, that's, that's I think, so the, the, the crucial parts are, are done great. Um, and I think you can, can, as I said, always improve uh, on, 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 the, on the process down the road. But, um, yeah, I would say we are, let's say 80%, 85%, 90% on on the whole post-merge integration done. It's also well known that the last 20% take maybe 80% of the time because yeah, you're waiting for something um, which still need to be confirmed and and so on. But but it's, I really feel that we are close to the end of, of, of being fully integrated. So I don't have a, have a big nervous feeling anymore if I going into uh, 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 sending up a reporting sheet. So that's, that's no longer, I'm, I'm, I know what's, what's going on. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so let's come back to the product a little bit. So uh, you guys have been growing and I mean, I'm, I'm watching you, um, I'm watching, <laughs> um, I'm watching you grow and like w seeing what, what you put out there, like the, the events that you're doing. Uh, it's really fascinating. So what's next on the roadmap uh, for mm. UserSnap? Yeah. I think, um, there is one, one, one large topic approaching everyone is AI, but uh, let, let's come to the point a little bit later. Um, we are carrying to just adding more functionality and uh, for, for this product managers, because I believe their prop, this problem space of them is, is still growing and still, 
in, into different stages and areas. So I think a lot of things to do to make their life easier and faster. So in the whole collecting process and the analyzing of feedback, and there comes already the AI part. So um, we added our first AI capabilities last year and uh, they were qu quite well adopted but we still shipped it as kind of beta because we said okay this this is yeah we have to, to constantly uh, evolve on, on on that and that's i think what we all can be sure this let's call it a little bit more zoomed out the ai assistance to in the product manager space uh, will grow and grow and grow so that's why also we will build features in the direction where we, we can support this this problem space or the persona, the product manager there with, with uh, valuable tools. Um, we also have to be very careful in the AI spaces. People should think let's, a let's add AI to that space because we, we need that as well. And I was always very against that approach because for me, that brings me completely back to the beginning. We have to provide a minimum value because otherwise just having a sneaky eye features maybe for April Fool's Day very, very, very neat and very nice, but not on, on, on the regular business. So that's what we were going to do next to improve our AI capabilities um, and building further functionality to really provide value to the product managers and, and make their lives easier. Okay, that's great. And I mean, uh, we at SaaS Group are working on building our own uh, AI team. So I guess, you know, you'll get all the help you need. So that's, uh, that's really exactly. exciting. That's great. Okay, so it just makes um, it faster very often. Right? Yes. And you know, AI, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it has to add value, uh, not just, um, you know, the label not just the headline that yeah. we're ai powered but it's also like so much of added cost uh and i think that's why a lot of founders also shy away from it on like a larger scale um so yeah i think there is a lot to to yeah. take into account before absolutely adopting it absolutely yeah Okay. All right. So I have uh, a couple, a couple more questions for you. Kind of the usuals uh, here. And the first one is so far for UserSnap, what has been the biggest win, the biggest failure? What is failure? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what? Um, <laughs> I'm just like looking no. for a Dutch word and like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I yeah, that's of course a very good question. Um, I, I would say I or we we we're constantly failing. Um, I think that's 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 important. That's part of the game. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, but you fail, you analyze, you adopt it to make it better, and and yeah, it's it's a very 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 natural thing. Um, I think for the for user itself, it was a little bit the the, the thing that. Um, we, we made this hard, hard focus a little bit too late, in my opinion. So I think we should have this, this, we were a little bit more on the way to, to make all kinds of customers happy, uh, what we have. So I think it's better to do it the other way around, make one segment happy and then adopt and increase. So I think this was, was, was one failure, which is a little bit more, uh, present in my mind. Um, a, a personal thing, what, what, what I, I think I learned a lot is, um, I, I think I listened a little bit to lesson to listen a little bit too little on my inner gut feeling 
um, people tend to say listening to the gut feeling is a bad thing because yeah gut is emotional and so on but as an experienced founder you get a very good sense of what is right and what is wrong and I personally am a very structured and data-driven person. So if I'm building up my opinion on something, I think I have already a very solid data-driven foundation. And then my gut is only a kind of the, the uh, good educated guess and, and, and last small piece in this puzzle here. So I think that's, that's what can a lot of people do is at a certain point in time, just trust your gut feeling. It's, 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 then it's a good decision. And, and, and because I sometimes learned it and later, okay, well, it, I knew it, I knew it. I just had to do it. Um, yeah, that's what I would call, uh, and maybe not biggest, but failures, uh, happened down the road. Okay. The biggest win, uh, is, is for me clearly, I mean, we built a bootstrap company from scratch from from zero to to a very very good level and i'm very proud of it and also the whole team what what they achieved so for, for us it was not this kind of clicks and product market fit was immediately there just and yeah uh um selling the the, the product is super easy so it, it, it was not an easy ride mm, i personally learned a ton of stuff uh in, in knowledge in, in in the software and SaaS space so um and i think also our team learned a lot and then yeah it was a really really great win what we achieved there i'm super proud of it so yeah perfect all right well since you mentioned it i, I just want to add uh one more question to the mix because we also talked uh with a few founders about the fact that you know first of all if you're a founder you're constantly learning like if you want to evolve and if you want to grow the company uh one thing you have to do is learn and you know it can be uh, marketing that you're learning uh, when you're developing the, the, the first prototype because you are going to have to sell it. Or it is AI, even if you're not implementing it right away, but maybe you will use it later. And or at the same time, you know, you have to learn things um, for the roles that you're going to hire for later, because yeah. how are you going to assess what people are doing, right? So what was the hardest thing for you to learn? over this 10 years about UserSnap? Um, it was and it is still um, marketing. It's in general, marketing. So as I said, tech background and so on. So um, I know all the, the, the pure principles of marketing. I, I learned it, but I, I, it's great to have, to have my co-founder Klaus uh, on, on board because he's great there and he's expert there and i always have this feeling i, I just i i really are having a hard time to to make this my my put this into my dna so but but i'm constantly uh working towards this and, and trying to put a little bit more marketing on my uh on, on myself but that's what not uh what, what my dna is not about so but that, that, that's super hard when you fight a little bit against uh, yeah, your own your own uh, character. It, it feels like that. Okay. All right. Yeah, and Klaus is great. I mean, we're going to have uh, an AMA with Klaus uh, about churn very soon in about a month. Uh, so yeah, he's going to join us uh, for one. You of can really too. looking forward to it. He's a great guy. <laughs> All right. So the last question: uh, Could you share a hack um, about you know, successfully getting your company acquired and then 
integrated, which is even more important because I think a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, are selling to strategic buyers thinking that, you know, strategic means very seamless uh, integration, which mm -hmm. is often not the case. So is there a hack for you? Um, for the acquisition itself, when I take a look back, it, it feels kind of structured puzzle part by puzzle part. So I think I wouldn't call it natural, but, but structured. And then and, and as soon as you say, okay, we're doing this, then let's talk to some strategic, some PEs and so on. You, you, you know how, how this feels for, for the, 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 after the acquisition, um, I have the feeling you, you need to have uh, two important skills. It's communication. Um, and being open to new things. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I think you should be aware that change is the only constant. But but why being why being open to new different things is important. Uh, as you get acquired, and as as you said, it doesn't matter if you're strategic or or, or private equity or, or or any any other kind of fund buys you or acquirer buys you. It, it's it's important that you're landing somewhere new, and there are things are done differently, and that could be either right, wrong, or it just doesn't matter, but they are done differently. So you have to be open to, to adopt to those things. And some things maybe didn't work better for you. And some things maybe work not so good for you. But I think this is the one thing to just be open to, to do the thing, to dry the things out. And the other part is just communication, because um, you, you also have to be very open and, and honest about your concerns. If, if, if you're doing something, adopting to some, some new pattern, some new, new, new connection to new, new communication, uh, and, and so on, you you have to be at a certain point very honest and say, "Hey, uh, I think this is not the good right case. How are we doing this? Let's let's do it how, how we did in the past. Suggested things, but communi communicate about about this because um, it's a little bit easy to say, yeah, let's just do everything what they say and ignore everything, and then in the end you say, I told you so. This is wrong. I mean, that's 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 weak in the end. Yeah, just just communicate down the road. Hey." This works really quite good. I'm really happy that we did. We're doing this that way. Oh, this is not so good. We should adopt it. Um, and uh, but not also be the completely opposite. Say we. I don't want to change anything. And I'm. I'm. I'm absolutely hardliner. I'm. I, I. I. Everything should stick the same like it was before. I mean, then you should just not sell your company. Right. Absolutely. I think transparency is key here. I mean, um, yeah. Again, uh, talking with with so many founders and. Uh, our founders, especially, everyone says, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, a lot of things don't change. A lot of things stay, but some things change. And like, you cannot expect another company just to operate the way you did, right? No matter how culturally aligned you are, um, some things are different and you just have to accept it because, exactly. you know, you're already there. So thank you for exactly. bringing it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, Joseph, that's been, uh, that's been great talking with you as always, you know, looking forward to, uh, May and hopefully seeing you at our founders event. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for telling your story and, uh, happy to do it again sometime. Yeah. And thanks. It was a pleasure talking to you. Um, a very fun experience and, um, available anytime for you. Awesome. Thank you. And Perfect. take care. Great. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. 
we're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders, and if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.